Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in German Studies. I'm Julia Stetter, your host, and... Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in German Studies. I'm Julia Stetter, your host, and today we'll be talking to Sergei Rickenbacher about his new book, Wissen um Stimmung, or in English, Knowledge about Mood. Mr. Rickenbacher currently holds a postdoc position at the University of Aachen in Western Germany. Mr. Rickenbacher, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really glad to speak with you today. Um, so I wonder if we could just uh, start with the title of your book, Knowledge About Mood. Um, so mood, I mean, many younger commentaries about Robert Mosiel analyze his book by focusing on Mosiel's closeness to science, which is to say especially his closeness to psychology and physics. Um, however, your approach goes in another direction. Um, and uh, could you tell us how your approach differs from these traditional approaches, you know, and um, why you have chosen to focus on mood instead of science? Yes, uh, thank you very much for this excellent question. You're totally right. Many excellent studies are focusing the interrelations between the sciences and Robert Moose's literary works. In regard of Muse's biography, this approach to his oeuvre is uh, totally evident. He was engineer. He had done studies in philosophy and psychology. He had been at Berlin by Karl Stumpf, who has just opened a research center for experimental psychology. Um, One could say, as nearly no other author of his time, Musil was familiar with several sciences. So if you add up, Musil had a considerable knowledge in current mathematics, physics, mechanics, psychology, philosophy, and last but not least in literature and art. He already published several poems and was reading intensively Friedrich Nietzsche, Maurice Maeterlinck, Ralph Waldo Emerson. One of his closest friends in this time was the psychologist Gustav Johannes von Alesch, whose special subject has been aesthetics. But let me come back to your question and I will give you an answer in which way my study will differ from the numerous other works about Musil and the sciences. As I try to sketch up out this approach is especially for the early music totally plausible. The value of the studies you hint at is therefore beyond all question and they have been a real inspiration for me. And I have also to say I'm not so far away from them. The first part of my study focuses on history of knowledge, not to co-found with history of science. We'll be maybe talk later on about it. However, I show in the first part um, how musical and psychological concept of Stimmung intermingles with the thermodynamics and psychophysics. The crucial shift in this time was the idea that distinctive bodies are connected through energy. This thought pattern enabled to think a unity without corporal fusion. 
quite important in a time when God was dying. Music picked up willingly and unwillingly this pattern in his novel, first novel and in the novellas. Um, at this point, I, I should come back to the title of my book and your translation. Um, the, if you translate it correctly, Stimmung can be mood. It isn't wrong at all. But I prefer the, to use the German word for a certain reason. Uh, Stimmung can't be fully translated neither in English nor in French or Italian. Uh, Stimmung means mood. Yes, that's, that's right. But also atmosphere or tune. It can be personal or interpersonal. It can refer to a state of mind, a light arrangement, or the tuning of a piece of music. It can be a quality of the interior as well as the exterior. That the semantic of Stimmung is totally vague and that the term appears in different contexts as art, science, psychology, and so on, is really crucial for argumentation. So I will come back now to the difference between the other studies about music and, and science and my very own approach. In contrast to them, I wanted to emphasize another aspect of the relationship between science, culture, and art. I've been interested in the forms of knowledge in each field, especially in literature, of course. My premise was that all these fields are linked in a certain way together. They have interrelations, but they have also their very own rules and forms of shaping knowledge. The concept of Stimmung is therefore transferred through different fields, not only science, but not without substantial changes. In my study, I try to explain how literature shapes this very own form of, of knowledge of Stimmung, which gives of, at the same time literature a specific form. This would be the poetological aspect of Stimmung. Um, if you want to take it short, on the one hand, hand I had a more open perspective on musical literature and science than the, the author studies. But on the other hand, I have a more closer approach because I'm really uh, focusing on literature at the end. Yeah, that's uh, quite impressive. So you combine this more open approach with a more closer approach. And I've never thought about this translation problem and that it's maybe more useful um, to translate Stimmung but with atmosphere. But um, yeah, that's a fascinating point. Um, and now we know what you mean with um, Stimmung in uh, knowledge about uh atmosphere maybe um, but there's still uh, knowledge left and um, so when I hear knowledge uh, what almost uh, automatically pops up in my mind is uh, Michel Foucault because I was trained in this way but um, now in your preface you do mention discourse analysis um, but you also say that you want to go beyond it um, and could you explain that a bit more, bit more? I mean I would be Curious, just to um, clarify what you mean by um, saying knowledge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no knowledge is uh, definitely one of the key concepts of the literature sciences after 2000, um, but it's only also one of the most difficult terms, I think. It's quite airy, 
and often it's just used <laughs> to sound a little bit more scientific. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure if I would use it again for, for a study, even if I find the idea of Michel Foucault very plausible and productive. Um, my study is also based on Foucault's understanding of knowledge. Um, as he develops in Sur l'archéologie des sciences in 1968. He tries to understand science in a historical formation that embraced the discipline, the science, as well as other fields like politics, law, media, or technique. This historical formation that makes a scientific finding possible is the knowledge. This whole formation is um, drawn by knowledge. Rules, practices, and findings are working together. My first adaption of uh, Foucault's concept of knowledge was to say that what is valid for scientific facts can also be transferred on literature. In other words, exactly like science emerges literature out of a historical formation of knowledge. This knowledge manifests itself in texts, objects, practices, which I tried to describe. Um, I go beyond or maybe... Yeah, may, maybe also behind the early Foucault with my concept of actor-subject. My, uh, my approach corresponds maybe better with the elder Foucault and his technologies of the self. But, however, as I mentioned before, is Stimmung often linked to individuals and their experience. Especially around 1900, there have been a lot of different practices and experiments with Stimmung, which should regu regulate the relations between the body, the mind, and the outside world. In this time, fashion, design, perfumes, literature, music, but al also alcohol and drugs have been used to stimulate and discover the interior of the human being. How to manipulate and produce inner and outer Stimmung was linked to the relation of body and mind, individual and world. Therefore, Stimmung is inseparable with the production of the self. Then there is a second difference to Foucault's uh, discourse, discourse analysis. I was a little bit more materialistic and I worked with entities like the physical author, the, the book or the oeuvre. This move backwards has been necessary, in my opinion, to grasp the practical and material side of Stimmung. As I mentioned just before, Stimmung's Kunst was a technology of the self, a technology um, of production of the individual. The material side touches one of my most fundamental hypotheses. Stimmung manifests and materializes itself in literary texts. Mm -hmm, yeah, very interesting, um, quite complex. But yeah, I guess the, especially the link between uh, literature and knowledge seems to be important, right, to you? 
Yes, it is. Um, because in, in my opinion, the, as I said, the, between the different fields of, um, not, not knowledge, but the, the different feel, fields um, like science, like um, culture, like uh, painting, uh, but also uh, law, politics, and, and so on, um, they, they are in an interrelation together. And especially Stimmung was mm -hmm. transferred from thermodynamics to psychophysics to psychology back into art. But it, in each field, they, they have they, they, or they happened a certain transformation of Stimmung. They, they built their very own Stimmung because of their mediality and their materiality. So you have in one way to look at the common ground of these different concepts, but also um, on, on the other hand, on the speciality um, in each, each field or in each discipline. Mm -hmm. So interesting. So um, let's turn to the uh, confusions of uh, young Turles now. Um, uh, so basically, uh, this book is a story about a young disoriented man who attends a boarding school And um, generally speaking, in the genre of the so-called Bildungsroman or novel of formation, the central character of the story develops throughout the plot. Um, but uh, concerning uh, Turnus, I don't know whether this is true or not, so whether he develops or not. So um, I would be curious just uh, whether Turnus also develops and whether this is somehow linked to mood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, even the experts um, of the confusions of young turtles aren't sure if there is really a development or not. Um, there are voices which neglect uh, formation of turtles in the novel. I think they aren't unjustifiable. Um, the plots report a short time of a teenager in a boarding school situated in the province of the imperial and royal Austria, not far from Russia. The aim of the school is to form later military or statesmen, or one can, could say the later elite of the empire. So the Bildungsroman has often the goal to integrate uh, a kind of unruly protagonist in the civic society. That's more or less the pattern in um, classical Bildungsromane or novel of formation like Wilhelm Meister of Goethe or the Grüne Heinrich of Keller. If you take it from this point, Turles definitely doesn't look at the end in a carefree future in, in the, the elite of an imperial and royal empire. The formation of the young papal Turles is a total failure. They made some they had as the, the whole time in the boarding school was uh, an excess they it has a lot of violence they tortured a uh, co-couple they um, made um, homoerotic um, experiences they they the puppets lived in a kind of um, cruel natural state so the classical methods of this formation with discipline mathematics or philosophy aren't effective But if you let this social side, uh, or if you leave the social side um, in Musil's first novel, um, we, f we find another kind of formation who has been a real success. And this is, re uh, is very close, closely linked with Stimmung. Törles is 
going to be an aesthetic intellectual personality throughout the novel. So, and it, it doesn't have an outer development of the young pupil Turles in a, in a social way, but it has an interior development of Turles in direction of an artist. From the beginning, Turles stands uh, a little bit out of the puppets. Of course, also he is feeling the awakening of his sexuality, his lust of violence, and he participates at the most actions of his friends. But he's doing it always with a certain distance and an interest in observation of his perceptions and feelings. For him, it's not just about touching or beating other bodies or gaining power over his coolmates. All his these actions are only techniques and experiments to manipulate his mood, which is often linked to the external atmosphere. So we have the whole complex of Stimmung again. If you take now the concept of the genre Bildungsroman from this point of view, Turles' formation in a boarding school was a success. He got a kind of drop of poison um, that allows him to enlarge his soul. That these are the words of the novel. Therefore, he can sit at the end um, in the coach with his mother, silent and smelling, for example, uh, the, the odor which is coming from her waist. In this time, he is enjoying the sexual attraction without any impulse to commit an incest. Turles lear, lear, learned at the end to differ between his special mood, which is linked to an aesthetic experience, and the action which could uh, cause a lot of suffer or um, could break certain rules in the society. Yes, so after all he has learned, and somehow it depends on the perspective of how you are looking at the question. Um, okay, um, one important movement um, within the humanities is also the so-called uh, spatial turn, um, which basically means outlining the importance of different spaces, And certainly um, spaces also play an important role for creating a certain mood. Um, and I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the spaces you have encountered in Turles and how they influence the mood within the novel. Yes, with pleasure, because spaces are uh, totally important. The Stimmungen of Turles are often linked to his uh, surroundings. It isn't insignificant um, at which place the protagonist has his extraordinary perceptions and reflections. The symbolic function of rooms in Muse's novels has been treated already in the early research. Um, they are often a little bit shabby, dark interiors, and also exterior places as forests in the night, bordellos, or uh, an attic, for example. Um, the spaces symbolize surely the awakening um, of the sexuality and the latent violence of the young puppets in these boarding schools, as often mentioned in earlier research works. But in my opinion, there is a more dynamic, is more dynamic in the spaces of the confusions of young turles. The most important, all the rooms and places were marked with a certain ambiguity. Often there is twilight or darkness with the flash of light. Then, for example, the boarding school is an unsacred place on the relics of an older convent. 
this institu institution is the presence of the imperial royal center of power in the remote province. The bordello where Torles is going um, with his friends is located in an old bathhouse where the bourgeoisie and the peasants, peasants meet each other. Also, the perceptions of space, uh, spaces is often not distinct. Visual phenomena as the optic, optical inversion or the inability of man to focus two different points are metaphors for the epistemological problems of Turles. But the most interesting and important room is the so-called Rote Kammer, the Red Chamber, um, where the most of uh, yeah, a good part of the actions with the servant Bassini takes place. This room is located in the highest level on the boarding school. Its existence isn't explicable because it has no function. Only the three companions writing, Beinebert, Törles, knows in the beginning about it. To reach this place, they have to pass the collections of natural, science, uh, natural history, an attic with sceneries of all theaters, and several traps which they have placed to protect their secret retreat. The chamber itself is small without any daylight. The walls are equipped with blood red flag drapery and decorated with a revolver. It's something like the hidden center of the boarding school, but also of the novel. Royal Imperial Austria is present as a disciplined power with his flag. The violence is latent thanks to the revolver and the blood color. But exactly the color stands as well for the erotic experiences the puppies will make later in the novel. Again, the connotation of the space is ambiguous. But now it's really essential that the spaces aren't self-sufficient. First of all, the light regime is essential. The novel works with the aesthetics of the fin de siècle, artificial lights not too bright, often flickering. But then secondly, the decoration of the interiors is also important. And last but not least, the Stimmung of space is also linked with less concrete factors like the acoustics, the temperature, and of course the other. The per perception of space is often synesthetic. And therefore, to bring it to the point, the constitution of space in Moses Knoll is, a quite, complex, is quite complex and doesn't correspond only with spatial cat categories. It's more a question of atmosphere, and this atmosphere stays in mutual reaction with Turles' mood. Yeah, I just thought atmosphere somehow is also could also be linked not only with the space but also with fragrances, um, because um, uh, the research concerning Musit Turles has not analyzed the role of fragrances yet. Um, but um, smells also appear within the novel, and um, so for. Uh, within your analysis, you um, somehow fill a research gap because you not only mention spaces, but also uh, fragrances. And uh, so could you explain this a bit more? Yes, um, that, that was a, a real surprise also for me if I was working on Musil, um, the importance of fragrances in this novel, but also in this time, I have to say. Um, as I just said before, um, they play um, an important role for, for the spaces. 
The narrator emphasizes often that Turles has a preference for sticky, heavy, and even stinky rooms. In this uh, olfactory atmosphere, he has often his second sight, his uh, special moods, when when he is um, enlarging his soul, let's say. Um, Enlarging his soul is a metaphor, of course, and shouldn't be taken too literally. Um, But also the relationships uh, between the different figures are illustrated with smells and odors. Beineberg, for example, uh, one of the companions of Turles, um, has a bad breath. This corresponds with um, Turles' suspicency against his spiritual visions. Basini, uh, the boy with whom uh, Turles and the other guys have some homoerotic experience, uh, Bassini's body's uh, body seems to have a delightful odor. But the smells and odors are also an excellent topic to turn from the staging of Stimmung, uh, what I did or, or what I've been talking about just before, um, to their more poetological dimensions. Exactly in the scene when Bassini appears the first time naked in front of Turles, the co-puppet becomes to be a kind of marble statue with bright white skin. But Turles can't see him because of the light conditions. Uh, What allows him to perceive the beauty of Bassini is the order of the body, which he is inhaling like, what what was the word, um, expression, betörende Schmeichelei, enchanting flattery. The first time in the novel, Turles experiences beauty as a whole of intellectual, emotional and corporeal reaction. Before, he lost often his mind, his language or sometimes even his consciousness. But it's also significant that the scene doesn't narrate a real olfactory experience. Basini's body is too far away to smell it. The enchanting flattery indicates the potential betrayal. What initiates this scene is a poetological reflection about the aesthetic and, more important, the effect of literature. There exists a few passages of um, meta-reflection about the nature of thought and language. In the most famous, the narrator and Turles, they aren't always distinct, separable, um, are thinking about the change of thoughts and time. Thoughts can be alive or dead and become alive again. If they are alive in, in the novel, they have something like color or smell, like a flower. If they lose their qualities, an abstract logical concept remains. But this isn't effective anymore. In another passage, the narrator locates the aesthetic effects in the white lines between, uh, the, between the lines of a book. What do I want to show with these passages? The novel unfolds a concept of art and especially literature that is at the threshold of materiality and immateriality. Aesthetic experience is neither only a corporeal experience, as for example sexual lust is, nor a mere intellectual stimulation, as philosophy for example could be. It needs both to create a third space, an interspace, where the aesthetic emerges. And where, uh, what is very significant in uh, the confusion of young Turles is the combining of smelling and writing. The um, Turles is writing um, throughout the, the whole novel, but the only successful writing Turles produces himself is one part of the diary. And this part 
reads Turles nearly at the end of the novel. He had, during this reading, the impression as would rise the smell of lavender and all letters out of the lines. His former actions, perceptions and feelings are like a smell. The past is present and absent at the same time. It's real, but is as well an illusion. It emerges from the lattice and takes effect in the interspace of paper and reader. Musil is using a lot of the, ma- of the material and metaphorical dimensions of smells and others for his aesthetic concepts. But the most interesting point he makes at the very end. As I already told before, at the end, Turles is sitting with his mother in the coach. Turles glimps at his mother and asks him if she's if he's wanting something. He denies it and is smelling the slightly perfumed odor. Before I just said he is smelling, but it was a perfumed odor which is emanating from the waist of his mother. As I said before, this reaction manifests. On the one hand, his formation during the novel. But on the other hand, it's also a poetolog- poetological statement. Only the second time in the whole novel a perfume is mentioned. Smells in general, in general synthesizes materiality and ephemerality, past and present, body and mind. The perfume adds the artificiality to the metaphoric field. A perfume should not only imitate a, sword, a source, especially not around 1900. Rather, a composed order should enhance the nature through artificiality. This is exactly what the end of the Confusions of Young Turles narrates. The enhancement of nature, here especially sexual, sexual lust, through artificiality. And because the order is linked throughout the book with literature, one could say that the novel demands an enlargement of the soul with the enhancement of the nature through literature. The perfumery is therefore the key concept. So smells seem to be quite uh, important, crucial to the novel. Um, I guess uh, now it's uh, time to switch to um, the unions, Musil's unions. Um, um, and the unions uh, consist of uh, two separate novellas, and um, especially one of them operates by strongly emphasizing a verbal pictures. And um, one of these pictures I've still got in mind is how Veronica remembers the St. Bernard dog from her childhood. And this, this is somehow a strange situation because uh, Veronica is so much uh, focused on just the appearance and particularly the fur of the dog. And um, maybe you could just tell us how mood is created here. So when uh, when when you see this uh, dog and when, Ver- 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 when Veronica sees the dog and how she develops mood some. Yeah, that's really a lovely passage. Um, everybody is fascinated by it. Um, I'm, but I'm really glad that you are asking this question um, because besides the opportunity to show how Stimmung is created exactly um, in this scene with the St. Bernard dog, um, you give me a very good opportunity to give to make shortly a difference between the confusion of young turles and union as well to insist um, of the common ground um, the, the research uh, to the early works agreed mostly that between the first novel and the novellas exists a distinct break again i would say yes and no uh, the style of these two novellas are surely totally different uh, compared with the with turles 
But at the end, uh, Musil is still dealing with the same question, the writing and transferring of Stimmung. Of course, he refined his concept of Stimmung during his studies. Uh, Stimmung is becoming the very own quality of literature in contrast to scientific and essayistic texts, what he is reflecting in, in several uh, notices and uh, sketches for, uh, um, for, for some essays on uh, liter literary theory. But uh, it's also um, a relation between the subject to his own body and the outer world, what he is calling um, Gefühlsbetonung. But anyway, the nucleus of his interest remains the same in unions as in Turles. How can Stimmung be narrated? The scene you mentioned is uh, situated in the Versuchung der stillen Veronica, the, the, the temptation of the quiet Veronica. Um, sorry, can, can I ask you something back? Um, is Unions already translated in English? I'm not quite sure about it. Um, I haven't looked it up. <laughs> yeah, no problem, because um, when I wrote my thesis, it wasn't translated. And I think this was for good reasons. Um, as Stimmung is nearly intranslatable, Unions <laughs> seems to be a hard piece of work for a translator. Um, why uh, will be will becoming maybe a little bit more clear uh, when I speak about uh, the passage with the St. Bernhard dog. Okay, let's go back to the novella. Um, the novella is about a love trial, triangle. The, the plot is really shortened. Um, it's Veronica who's in more or less in love with, with Johannes, but is attracted by a second guy, uh, Demeter. Um, but one, um, at one day she asks uh, Johannes to leave the house um, with the idea when he's going away and kill himself, it would be possible for her to love him. It's quite difficult to understand because, because it's uh, really irrational in, in one way. Uh, but asking him that um, evokes for uh, in uh, evokes by uh, Veronica uh, memory, um, which is important for her relation to the two guys. And this memory is the Saint Bernhard dog. The same, when she was young, a girl, um, at the edge to the teenage years, she had this dog, which she loved, as she could love an uh, inanimate object like a puppet or a stone, as Novella said. But one day, when she is lying beside her dog in a hayfield, this comradeship, um, as it is called in the novella, got a new twist. Veronica especially liked the hairs of the dog. They have been for her a symbol of the world perception. The mere plurality of hairs can't be understood rationally. And if Veronica focused uh, a single spot on the chest of the St. Bernard dog, her eyes have been going to confuse. But this breast and all the hairs have been still a totality be because of an intensive feeling of sympathy. The narrator um, enlarges this um, comparison um, to the landscape, uh, which seems to be one big order as whole, but uh, a chaos if you isolate a single piece. From these more general comparisons of uh, the narrator, um, in the passage, the feeling of Veronica becomes prior for the, the diegesis. 
In a dreamlike imagination, she's replacing the dog with giants. Also, the giants have hairy breasts. But in contrast uh, to the dog, there are again there is again a whole world. There are mountains, valleys, and forests in these images. In the trees, also uh, as hares, are sitting and singing birds. In the child imagination, the world is strongly connected as well by love, in love, or totally destroyed if the giants go, giants are going to be angry. So the, the action is moving forward. Veronica is uh, still indoors, and see, she's remarking suddenly, suddenly that her breath is synchronized with the dog's breath. She had the impression as would the dog appropriate her life with his breath. As she opened her eyes again, the dog was standing beside her. He's suddenly sticking out his tongue and licking her face. In this moment, she felt like an animal too and had a sexual desire. Both feelings that are fundamental for her. But it's also significant what happens with the language. It starts to stutter. It has a lot of the typical elisions in, uh, in, of the novels, and the passage ends in disconnected images. Two, impo- uh, two points are important in these passages. First of all, Veronica's innocent law for the dog got the sexual element. This desire is forbidden by the taboo of sodomy. This disunion between her love and sexual desire preforms her later relationship to the two guys. That's also the reason why she can't go into a relationship with Johannes and have to send him away. Because love and sexual desire isn't connected in her Gefühlsbetonung. But this passage is also a good example for the poetic production of Stimmung. The most rhetoric element in unions is the comparison. The narrator is comparing always a certain factual part of the plot with a more or less strange image. Often, the factual part um, gives an interpretation of the experience. And of course, this interpretation isn't easy, understandable, and sometimes even irrational. But between the factual part and the image part of the comparison should, in theory, emerge something like a tertium comparationis, something third who is connecting the image with the fact. And this this certain comparationing, which is emerging from the interspace, can also be compared with the Stimmung. A second element of the style is the elision, as well an interspace as the tertium comparationis. In this nearly blank space, only between two and six dots are normally there, uh, should as well evolve this kind of textual mood or atmosphere. And thirdly, the most important feel of image is also present in this passage, the waves. If the tongue touches Veronica, her sexual desire is in the foreground. As I told you, this desire is a taboo. But an innocent form of union, which is developed by immaterial phenomena, initiates this feeling, the wind and the breath. The wind in the woods on the... On the hairs of the giant and the and the dog, and the breath of the dogs. Thanks to their mediation, a union without violates the taboo is thinkable. 
The images of waves are the most important for, for this novella. They allow Veronica at the end a new behavior to the inner and outer um, world as well, as they dominate the writing style. Um, I'm afraid uh, we've already taken a lot of your time, but um, just as a final question, uh, could you maybe try to sum up the most important results of your book very briefly? Okay, what's what's the message of my book? Um, I tried already before to sum up a little uh, few of my uh, results of the study, but um, I, I like to, to speak about maybe the message, um, and I like to take it a little bit more fundamental. Um, I think the study aims to show, firstly, that the combination of large histories, knowledge, and close reading of literary text um, can uncover unknown, often ignore aesthetic effects. It needs, unfortunately, some space, uh, but it's very fruitful. Um, for example, my study not only shows how Musil's early works are dealing with a knowledge about Stimmung, or even more are producing Stimmung, it allows also to show a continu continuity um, in his literary oeuvre, which was until now denied. Secondly, um, even if the, this study shows that Stimmung and literature should be considered in a historical setting, it should also be done in regard to your personal aesthetic sensibility. Um, they have to be set in relation, according or discording. Ding, uh, discording. This is exactly what Stimmung is about. I can, I can describe the knowledge about Stimmung around 1900 and develop Musil's own concept of mood and atmosphere, but I can't ignore my very own um, experience with the text. The Stimmung emerges always as a dynamic between different entities and accords them, individual and order world, world and cosmos, text and reader. This is a dynamic also literary scholar have to deal with. My third point is maybe a little bit a utopian wish. Um, I hope this study shows how serious certain novelists took the literature as well as the sciences. Especially in Musil knows both fields and decided himself willfully and conscious for literature because he did see in this medium possibilities of knowledge that couldn't be produced in science or other fields. But science and literature stayed always in interrelation. interrelation. This experimental, um, yeah, nearly research-like approach to literature is today um, yeah, quite unknown in the public. I'm totally aware that uh, my study will not reach, will not be read by masses. Uh, but exactly therefore, I'm very glad that you give me some time and that we spoke today together. Okay, Mr. Rickenbacher, it sounds like a great book of yours, really. And I want to thank you for being on the show today. And I really enjoyed it. So take care. <laughs>